0: And we're going to go to the book of Judges, chapter number two. This is my last lesson to you on a Wednesday night in this calendar year of 2019. For that matter. Judges, chapter number two. And we will also be reading from Judges, chapter number three. But I think you'll be able to find it if you find chapter two first. So it'll be good. So Judges two, I'm going to read verse number 21, starting. The Bible says, I also and we're kind of you know, as you do a scripture, sometimes you're diving in the middle of of a story or even, uh, you know, a paragraph. I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them. This is the Lord speaking of the nations which Joshua left when he died. That through them, I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it. Not Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily. Neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Judges 3, Judges 3 and verse number 1 starting. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Then verse 3 speaks of, of the nations and the peoples that the Lord left. I want to skip on down to verse number 4. And they, that is these nations and peoples that the Lord left, and they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of God moses amen nothing ordinary tonight just simply entitling this resisting commonness we've had a we've combated we've you know we've done observed we did all these different things i want to just talk about resisting commonness can we go to the lord in prayer father i love you tonight i pray god you would help us lord in the next few moments of time God, let the words of God upon these pages, God, lift up off of the scriptures, God, and walk into our individual lives. I pray, O Lord, this evening, God, that your God have equipped us, Lord, to resist. God, the ordinary, the common, Lord Jesus' life, God, of the world about us. God, you have set us apart. God, you have made us to shine, to stand out, Lord. God, to be accounted as your own. And I pray, oh, Lord, we want to live that type of life. Lord, even in our generation, even in our era, Lord, in our hour, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Judges, the book of Judges, of course, following the book of Joshua. And side by side, these two books are... Daylight and dark, they are uh, almost opposing, if you will, somewhat in their subject matter uh, in what each highlight when you read the book of Joshua, of course, named for the, the namesake is for the leader of Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel. At that time, the book of Joshua is a book of conquest. There's all so many battles and fightings that's taken place within the book of Joshua and they are being Uh, what we may call successful in those in those fights. Yet, according to scripture that I read to you tonight, there were nations that were left unconquered by Joshua. There were nations left undefeated by Joshua. Whenever Joshua died, uh, not all the foes of Canaan had been laid to rest. Uh, It was more, though, than just nations as the scripture portrays it. It was more than just nations that Joshua had left. But more importantly, it's important to see even in our scripture reading tonight. But there were nations that the Lord even never, never brought or delivered into the hands of Joshua. So we're not looking at maybe Joshua being a man that didn't do his job. But the Lord even didn't bring some nations before Joshua for him to do his job. In other words, the Lord purposefully didn't bring some of the nations, some of the foe of Canaan before Joshua for him to fight or defeat. He left them out of the scope, out of the, the eyesight, if you will, of Joshua with purpose. And the primary reason Judges tells us why some of these nations were not driven out is because the Lord wanted to use some of those nations. He was going to use them. He was going to use the foe. He was going to use the enemy, the adversary. He wanted to use them to prove his people. He wanted to use them to prove the nation of Israel that was coming into the land of Canaan, whether or not his nation would walk in the way of the Lord and whether or not they would keep the way of God. In the book of Judges, God then is dealing with a different generation uh, than what Moses had dealt with that came out of Egypt. Dealing with a different generation than what died off even during the wilderness journey of 40 years. This is a brand new generation. This is a generation of people that, that most of them in part have not passed over a Red Sea. They were not there whenever the death of the firstborn happened in Egypt and the blood was on the lintel and the doorpost. They had not experienced any of these things. And so God is dealing with a generation, according to Scripture of Judges 3 and 1, that had not necessarily known or been involved in all of the wars of Canaan. They didn't know all the wars. They had not been involved in all the wars. If I could say it like this, they were not aware of every battle That had been fought by previous generations before them. And for that matter, they didn't have to fight in many of those wars themselves. Because this is a new generation. So could I put it like this? Here is in the book of Judges a generation that God is dealing with. That don't have any connection. And don't even maybe even realize how they got to where they are as a nation today. They didn't have to put in the blood, sweat, and the tears to be where their feet stood particularly on this particular day. And so with that being said, God then was engaging a people, talking to a people that really didn't have any personal history or knowledge of the generations that were before them and what they had fought, uh, the battles, the, the keynote battles that they had in their lives leading out of Egypt leading through the wilderness, leading into the land of promise. It kind of connects with that saying that you've heard a lot uh, in our generation and previous generations, and it's something like this. Whenever we talk about fences and we talk about perimeters, how you're not to tear down a fence if you don't know the reason why it was built in the first place. And so that's what God is dealing with in this new generation of Israel. They don't know why the fences were ever put there. They see some things, they they notice some things, but they really don't know all the dynamics and the inner workings of them. And so there was a generation, according to Judges, then that didn't know all, everybody say all, all the wars of Canaan. And this is evident by how they are reacting in the land of Canaan, or probably better said, how they are not reacting. Amen. Now that they are in the land of Canaan, because there are some things that they are plainly not doing, and that is they are not driving out all the inhabitants that's in the allotments of land that has been given to them. They are not driving out the Canaanites. There were several of them that were never inhabitants of Canaan, several of them that were never driven out. The Bible says in the Scripture in Judges that Judah, the tribe of Judah, it says it like this, could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. Now, I'm not certain. I don't know for sure, but I don't know if there could not, may have been really a would not after we start seeing the pattern of the other tribes of the children of Israel, because there could not drive out, starts a series of various tribes refusing to drive out other inhabitants that's in the land of Canaan. For that matter, some of the tribes of Israel were simply taking the inhabitants of the land and making them tributaries, or if you will, forced laborers for themselves so so you know here's the tribe of Naphtali going in and he's not going to drive out the inhabitants or the Canaanites he's just going to make them work for him that seems pretty pretty innocent but what Israel will soon find out in their journey into the land of Canaan this new generation is this is that some of the very things that Israel quote unquote made to work for them would soon become what worked against them amen And so when we read these series of events that happen after Judah says we can't drive them out, I'm just going to read just a few bullet points of some of the other tribes. This is right from the Bible. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. You see a pattern here? And so what started with one saying, you know what? It's really no big deal. Although God said in the beginning it was for them to do it. But see, I understand they're not they're not uh, uh, familiar with all the wars of Canaan. See, it's it's easy to see something as innocent if you've never had a battle with it. They don't know all the wars of Canaan. And so here's one, don't drive them out, and it's just a spin domino effect. Another tribe doesn't do it, another tribe doesn't do it. So much so that when you come to Judges 1 and verse 34, there's a little change-up, actually, in what is stated. It says the Amorites, which were some of the inhabitants of Canaan, that the Amorites forced the children of Dan. That's Israel. That's a tribe of Israel. They forced the children of Dan into the mountains, For they would not suffer the tribe of Dan to come down to the valley. Oh, look what's going on here. The enemy's feeling a little bit good. It's feeling a little bit, mm, a little muscular, if you will. Because now we have several tribes that didn't drive them out. Allowed them to cohabitate. Allowed them to be forced laborers. Now we've got further along and the enemy's saying, You know what, Dan? The tribe of Israel, you stay on the mountain. Don't you come down. The enemy then is starting to dictate. Whenever God said, this is your allotment of land, now the enemy is starting to dictate, no, you can't have the valley. You can just have the mountaintop. And so whenever there was a pattern then, started in Canaan, of people refusing to resist, refusing to drive out the inhabitants, the Amorites become bold, they become confident enough to resist the tribe of Israel, Dan, from coming down of the mountains. So instead of Israel taking dominion, Instead of Israel taking dominion and command over the land, some of the adversaries and the foe were taking command over the land. And you know what that means? If they take command over the land, then they will perpetuate their gods, their ways. Someone just say amen. It's almost like I can hear the justification of the new generation of Israel that's entering into Canaan a naive, might I say, generation that don't know all the wars of Canaan and they're saying, you know what? There's no harm in them staying. There's no harm in them staying. They, they seem like good people. They seem pretty innocent. Their ways really don't seem much different from ours. But those are the words of folks who don't know all the wars of Canaan. The Lord left those nations in the land for the new generation, because he knew that that new generation would dwell among them. For that matter, the Lord and his omnipotence and omnipresence and all of this, he knew that they wouldn't drive them out either. The Bible says in Judges 3 and verse number 5 and the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. The Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites, they dwelt among them. God knew, listen to me, God knew that this new generation needed to be among the nations that were left for a few reasons. Number one, since this generation didn't know all the wars of Canaan, this generation needed to know how to war. Mm -hmm. They needed to know how to war. And you can't really learn war unless you got an adversary. They need to be taught how to battle against the very people, the very things that generations before them warred against. Because they don't know all the wars of Canaan. There were some things that generations before them fought that they didn't have to fight because the generation before them fought that battle. But now they're coming into a land. They are surrounded by foe. They're surrounded by people that are different than they are. And what God knows is they're going to have to fight some of the same things that generations before fought. And the only way they can learn it is to fight it themselves. Someone say amen. The Bible tells us these things. He put that there for purpose. Amen. He needed to know. God needed to know. The people that were entering the land needed to know. They needed to know what it felt like to stand on their own two feet. If I could say like this, they need to know what it felt like not to ride the coattail of the generation before them. That every perk and privilege that came to them, that they weren't just riding the coattail of the one that went before them, because the Bible says before this, before they dwelt among the people, before all of that, they didn't know anything. We'll see this here just a little later in Scripture. They didn't know anything. For that matter, the Scripture tells us Joshua, in the beginning of Judges, Joshua has just died, and Joshua, he's barely cold in his grave when this new generation enters Canaan, and look what they start doing. They begin to ask the Lord some questions in Judges 1 and 1. They ask the Lord some questions like, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first? Who is going to fight against them? Look at it. Now after the death of Joshua came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord. This is a new generation now entering Canaan. Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? You know why they're asking that? Because Joshua's dead. They're asking that because Joshua, their leader, is no longer with them. You know who always spearheaded things? Joshua, let's go fight that. Let's go fight here. Let's do it now. This is our strategy. This is how we're going to arrange it. This is what I'm going to do. Joshua was a fighter. Hands down. We know from Scripture. Joshua was a fighter. He's the one that was alongside the old companion, Caleb. It was Joshua and Caleb, the only ones, remember of the two spies a couple weeks ago that wanted to go into the land when God said possess the land. It was the other ten that was the naysayers saying they're too big, they're too strong, there's giants over there, remember? But Joshua and Caleb were the ones that wanted to fight from the very beginning, and whenever they first appeared, approached the promised land, Joshua was the one that was even ready to fight no matter how big, no matter how strong the enemy was because God said they could do it. Can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? So so, so, Israel's in a place now, new generation is saying, we don't have a Joshua. So who's going to go up against the Canaanites for us? Who's going to fight for us? Let me bring it home to us today, modern day. There's a day approaching if it isn't already here, and that is this. Again, when riding on the skirt tails of our elders, or even the middle-aged, will be impossible. And the reason why is because our elders are going to die off. The bishop and Sister McGee, they're in their 70s. They're not going to be here forever. I acknowledge that every day as a son of them. They're not going to be here forever. Some of these gray-headed saints, they're not going to be here forever. Some of the middle-aged right now, in in their 40s and 50s, They won't be here forever. And what I'm saying is this, and the day is approaching, we got to come to a place as a generation coming up that we got to be willing to fight the battles they fought. And we got to be willing to spearhead the battle that they spearheaded. In other words, no one's going to go up for us. No, there's there's not a Joshua that's going to come and go up for that generation now. There's, there's not a Joshua that's going to go up and he's going to spearhead the event now because he's no longer alive. He's dead. He's cold in the grave. And so now that new generation that don't know all the wars of Canaan, that didn't drive out all the inhabitants, they're going to have to take that task upon their shoulders, and now they have been given the task to fight. They've been given the task to go up themselves. In other words, they're not following the leader. They got to become the leader. Someone say, amen. they used to depend on Joshua, Joshua resisting and following his lead. Now they got to have the gumption to resist when there is no leading in the resistance. Someone say, amen. because when we understand this, here's the thing, our fighting. Even as a new generation, our fighting, our resisting, all that, it cannot just be solely regulated to a battle of a former generation and what they fought for. In that hour, yeah, I fought some things, yes, but you didn't spearhead that fight. You just kind of followed the mass. What I'm saying is the war of the previous generation had to become the war of that generation. We got to adopt their same enemies. We got to adopt their same adversaries. Because if that don't happen... That's how things slip in from generation to generation, how what was done in moderation in one generation becomes excess in the next generation. Because what a new generation, they say that's not an enemy anymore, but it was an enemy to the old generation and the one before that and the one before that. But since they don't know all the wars of Canaan, they see it as innocence. Huh? And what we have then is the cohabitation mm-hmm, of, of something that a, a former generation would have never allowed about being nothing ordinary. A former generation would have never Allowed, And so the only way to maintain the nothing ordinary status is to assume the same enemies that those before us fought, the same adversaries that those before us fought. Folks, I've heard it. I've heard it over time. Amen. Growing up now, just a little over 40 years old, I've heard it. Amen. Some people starting to second guess what previous generations stood. Amen. If you were squarely and fought against because they thought it was no big deal. Their resistance grew cold, grew slack. And sometimes when you think about, well, well, Brother McGee, they were under Joshua. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. At one time, they were under Joshua. But you must understand, they fell into rank and fought because Joshua had started the fight. Huh? Maybe Joshua's defending a partial ground. Oh, Joshua's defending a partial ground. We better fall in rank. Huh? Maybe he's resisting attack. Oh, we better fall in rank. They thought what he thought whenever he was living. And that's admirable. That's great for them to follow the leading, the guiding of their leader. And that's tremendous. And that's that, that, that. That's that's proper. But in doing so, in the process of doing so, according to the word of God, and what I read through the fallout of judges in the process of doing so, this new generation never investigated the purpose of the battle. They were just fighting it because he was fighting it. But they didn't know why they should be fighting it. Hmm. They didn't know why they should be fighting it. And so whenever he's gone, what's going to cause them to fight it the next time? Someone say amen. So they never investigated for themselves. And it's important for the next generation to know why there are some battles we fight. hmm. Amen. Because there's future generations that need to know. Why there are some battles we fight or why there are some charges we initiate or some charges that we lead. It is vital and it is important. Look, Judges 3 and verse 4. Again, this is the nations that the Lord left and that Israel left because the Lord never brought it before the eyes of Joshua. The Bible says in they, that's the nations the Lord left and Israel left because they were never brought before Joshua and they were to prove Israel by them, by these nations to know whether." they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. In other words, they will be among people unlike them. I'm going to have Israel be among people unlike them to see and test and prove them. If they, if Israel will remain nothing ordinary. I'm going to put her, it's kind of like we said last week, I'm going to put them in the world, but I don't want them to be of the world. I'm going to prove her. I'm going to test her to see if she will remain nothing ordinary. I'm going to see, will she resist? Huh? Or will she just simply exist among them, adopt their ways and their practices and their gods and so on and so forth? The Bible says in Judges 3, look at it now, verses 6 and 7, this was then the response of that new generation that didn't know all the wars of Canaan, that kept some of the inhabitants, that made some of them forced laborers. This is what all took place. The nations were there to prove them, and here is the proving. And they took their daughters, the daughters of the inhabitants that were left, they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. So they gave up their Jewish daughters to be the wives, the companions of the sons of the inhabitants that were left, and serve their gods. That always happens with the marriage of the mixing, if you will, of the people. And the children, verse 7, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the grove. So Israel mixed peoples. They mixed peoples. If I would say it like this, they marred the purity that they had. Being God's chosen. They forgot the Lord, Sister Margaret. And the Bible says they served other gods. And that is normally the pattern through Scripture. They forget the Lord and then serve other gods because it's hard to serve other gods with a good memory about who the Lord is. So it caused something to happen that your memory gets fogged or faded about the Lord so that then that you will passively go over and start serving other gods because it's hard to serve other gods with a good memory about the Lord. Nonetheless, as a result, the Bible says, you can read in verse 8, that the Lord's anger was hot against Israel. It's hot against Israel because what? They They chose not to be nothing ordinary. I know that's bad grammar not to be nothing, but I guess we say not to be anything ordinary, but nevertheless, they chose not to be nothing ordinary. They did not resist the commonest. They did not resist their gods, those people, their ways and practices of life. No, rather they blended in with the land that they were going to. Now here's what we need to understand. God could have if he wanted to because he's God, he's sovereign. He could have delivered all the adversaries of the land of Canaan into the hand of Joshua. He could all brought him before Joshua, Joshua being the conquest, slaughter duty he was. man, he could have slaughtered them, it would have been said and done. Amen, God could have done that. But God needed to know by the proving and by the testing if this next generation, you listening to me? God kept them there because God needed to know if the next generation had the same convictions as the previous convi- generation. So I'm keeping them there because so I need to know if these boys are going to have the same convictions of Joshua's generation. And I'm going to have to prove them whether or not that this generation, amen, thought the things that, were fought, that they thought fought for under the leadership of Joshua was really, was really worth doing themselves. See, because it's easy to be honorable and say, well, that's Joshua. God bless him. Love his heart. We're going to fight. He's such a precious soul. You know, he's almost 100 years old. He died, I think, when he was 120. He's such a, a great, you know, such a precious elder. We're going to fight because he fights. But do they have conviction to do it themselves? See, I got to keep these people here because I need to know if they're going to resist the commonness or if they're going to lead the charge against the same old, same old. The Bible says in Judges 2 and verse verse number 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation. This is the generation that's in Judges here that's going into Canaan. That I'm describing as the new generation. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Again, they did not know everything about the Egyptian escape. They didn't know everything about some of those things and and happenings that happened through the wilderness journey. This generation that was entering lacked knowledge of what brought them to Canaan. Amen. They had liberty, they had liberty. But they had no personal link to the cost of their liberty. They were brought to Canaan, but they didn't know about the cost. Their feet are boom, stationed in Canaan's like, ooh, look at this, this is great. Wow, look at these guys, they seem You know what I'm saying? But they didn't know anything about the cost. In 1776, American history. In 1776, Thomas Paine, American Revolution patriot writer, he wrote about the price of freedom. He says, and I quote in 1776, what we obtained too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. He said, heaven know, knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated, you know, what he was speaking of he was speaking of gener- generations to come that even as in this great United States of America, we enjoy a lot of perks and freedoms and things that man we think are great and we have days on the calendar that celebrate all that but folks we don't have the honor and the respect for it like the generation that fought for And whenever we weren't part of the battle system, Margaret, sometimes we do not estimate, if you will, the price of those things as highly as those that had the blood on their hands in order to acquire it. And as it is in America, so it is in the church. There are some things that we extend to us, and whether it be by, by building or facilities even sometimes, that people's walked in here, you've known no other church except this church right here. You've known no other building but this, this facility. You weren't a part of that other facility that, that the only way it could hold 90 if the side doors were open on it. And the pews were almost... And what I'm saying is this, you have this, and yeah, you might be thankful for this, but you're not thankful for it like those that were back in that day. That bowed over and put in the labor and the hours and scrubbed together a little bit of money to do this or that. Someone say amen. And so we look at this, but we don't need to listen to. We don't need to come too harshly upon the new generation for not resisting maybe what the former generation had, lest we forget the obligation of the previous generation to teach the commands and to talk about the commands and to bind the commands on the bodies of the next generation. To write them out plainly for the next generation. It was the word of the Lord in Deuteronomy that set this all in order. After our sweet Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hero Israel the Lord our God is one Lord. That it comes to verse number 7 and it says. And thou shalt teach them. It's speaking about the commands, the statutes and the precepts. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gate. So so lest we charge the new generation too roughly, we better look back to see if the previous generation did their job about sharing the commands, sharing the statutes. Someone say "Amen." Because the spiritual heritage that we have, the spiritual heritage and the convictions, amen, of the Lord's Israel, the Lord's peculiar treasure that we spoke of in this series, they will not become the nothing ordinariness, if I could say it like that, of the next generation. All right? Unless there's somebody that is teaching and talking and binding And writing out the commands and the precepts of the Lord for even their children and the generation that is to come. Someone say amen. They won't know anything about being set apart if someone don't talk about being set apart. comes back to the same old sermon I preach over and over again. That's a reason why we regurgitate certain themes, certain subjects around here over and over and over and over and over, and over again until your head is hanging to the side like I've heard this 101 times. That's great. We're going to hear it 102 because we got to teach it. We got to bind it on your body. We got to write it out. We got... Because there's a generation coming that won't know the wars that you fought and won't know the battles that you went out against. That... Someone say amen. amen. So they, they did all these things. They had to know that these things that set them apart, those things that set them apart is what they taught them. Those things that set them apart are the things that they talked about. And they, this, this is what goes I, I know what it's talking about, the phylacteries. And the, I can never say that name right of the, the binding around. What is it? Feeling. Whatever. I <laughs> always, always want to say Teflon, but it's not Teflon. Teflon, whatever it is, something close to that around their arm. They were binding the word on those. They were binding the word in essence. They were binding the word on them. The word became their appearance. They were binding the word upon them. You don't think that they were set apart from other nations walking around with little boxes between their eyebrows that had the word in it and had it wrapped on their arm? Huh? It affected how they even appeared. Honey, the next generation ain't going to do that unless you bind it on them when they're a child. The next generation is that going to do that unless you bring that boy over here and you start wrapping that, that leather around his arm and say hold still son what are you doing dad I need to bind the word on you today hold still what are you doing I'm putting a box there what are you doing I'm putting the word on you today because boy this is one thing that distinguishes us this is one thing that sets us apart this is one thing that gives us the power that we have this is one thing that's brought us through a lot of heartache and it allowed us to still stand as a nation today it's the binding of the word Bind that upon them The Bible says they wore that Look at it, verse number 8, Deuteronomy 6 and 8 You shall bind them These things upon them For a sign For a sign That word Absolutely means For a distinguishing mark Maybe in our resistance of our modern day age, we'd have more power in our resistance to commonness if the word was bound a little bit better on us. Someone say, Pastor McGee, this is done all the time right here at the good old First Apostolic Church. you all the time trying to bind the word on us. You binding it here on Wednesday night Bible study. You bind it on Sunday morning. We leave bound Sunday night by the word. You binding here and binding there. And folks, I hope that that is the case. But the primary lo- role of the binding belonged to the parent, not to the priest. In Deuteronomy six. It wasn't telling the priest that you're the one to talk about it when they wake up, when they go to bed. You're the one to write it on the post. No, 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 no. It was talking to the parents. Who's saying, parents, you're to talk about it. You're to bind it on them. You're to teach it. You're to write it out. You're to do it. You're to do it. You're to teach diligently. Look at verse number 7, Deuteronomy 6 7. Teach them diligently to thy children. Everyone say amen. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. If we could run there, I'm trying to be mindful here. I know one thing. It's wintertime, but there, you should never dress for winter and try to teach or preach. A few weeks ago, I wore a vest under a suit wrong. So stupid. I didn't wear it that night. That is just ridiculous. It's like have a high R rating insulation on, you know, it's kind of itchy. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Second phrase in particular, I want to hone in on here. The rod and reproof And Proverbs is great. And again, Proverbs is the practical book for real practical life. He'll tell you how to rear your children. He'll tell you where to apply the rod of correction. Amen. And no one has to fight with me and say, well, Brother McGee, I don't believe in all that. That's fine. I'm not telling you I believe in it or don't believe in it, although I do. I'm just telling you, that's the Bible. You don't have to take up no sword with me. Take up a sword with the word. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself Bringeth his mother to shame. The net Bible bespeaks of that second phrase, but a child who is unrestrained brings shame to his mother. The Hebrew text uses just this word in that phrase, it just uses the word for left and then leaves it at that. But a child left bringeth his mother to shame. What in the world does that mean? A child that is left. It suggests. That a child that is left in the same condition in which he was born, a child that is left in the same condition in which he was born, will bring his mother to shame. Now, let's take that natural thing and raise it to a spiritual level. One of the reasons why we emphasize ye must be born again, uh huh, is because if you're not born again, you are left. In a condition that you were first born in. Sin, shame, iniquity. That will never spawn another ordinary status. You are born into a condition of common man. And the practices of common man. But you need to be born again. There's got to be. A change, and when that happens, it spawns then in the life of a new believer a nothing ordinary status. You are no longer common because of the uncommon spirit that you have received into your life. So when we look at Joshua, resisting is taking place in the book of Joshua. Fighting is taking place. Again, I repeat, is it is a book of conquest. Joshua is. In contrast to that, smack right next to it, then comes Judges. The product of the next generation. It's like, you know, everything that goes, you know, you get the iPhone 10 and you, know, you get these numbers that go up and it's like supposed to be better. Well, this is like Israel 2.0, but it's not as good as Israel 1.0. They kind of went backwards. This is this is Judges is the product of the next generation. Because you read some bizarre things in Judges. You, you read some unthinkable things about what's quote unquote God's people. It's in Judges that in the book of Judges you read that time whenever a Levite take his concubine and she has died at a threshold, so he cuts her up in twelve pieces and then delivers a piece to each of the tribes of Israel. Boy, that's <laughs> eh, you know. And then it's also in the book of Judges that you read all the other tribes fought against the tribe of Benjamin and almost totally wiped Benjamin off the face of the earth, the whole tribe in the book of Judges. And that's like, mm, what in the world is going on here? But those type of things, and there's other things, read Judges, because if you ever read Judges, you probably read Judges sometimes and scratch your head and say, how in the world is this God's people? I mean, this is bunkers. I mean, this is just like out there. And it really just illustrates the signature verse, though, of Judges, which would be like the very last verse of Judges, where the Bible says that there was no king in Israel at that time and that every man did that which was right in his own eyes, which we learn is a little further defined at different places in Judges. One would be like Judges 6 and 1, further defined whenever it speaks about how Israel, the children of Israel, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So we take these two things and kind of meld them together. If every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and yet the scripture also says they did evil in the sight of the Lord, then what they thought was right. Are you hearing me? What the men thought were right, God said it's evil. The product of commonness for this new generation was what was right in the eyes of men was evil in the sight of God. That's how you get into that place. I think it is in Isaiah. It starts, have there become a generation that would call good, evil, and evil good. Because when you look through the eyes of commonality, you can't see right as God sees right. You see right. And in reality, it is evil. In reality, it is malicious. In reality, it is tearing down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if you come to the uncommon side, the nothing ordinary side of things, you'll soon to find out that what is, if I could say it like this, what is odd in the eyes of the people will be right and good in the sight of God. That's where we stand. That's where we stand. Odd, weird. Those people are different. All the other adjectives under the sun that get compiled up with that. And you know what we do? We tend to believe the voices of common men. I'm weird. Our church is different. We're kind of an outcast in our own community. We walk with a different stride. You know what we're doing? We're believing the voices of common men. But I'm asking you tonight to believe the voice of your God. Because what common men call odd, God says it's right. And what common men may call right, remember God said it's evil. see a illustration of this not too long I'm I'm, I'm hastening in Judges 6 Gideon anybody remember the story of Gideon you know God throughout the judges was constantly their ways and their cycles necessitated him raising up deliverers for them remember their Joshua's dead got to have somebody come and spearhead the charge So he's bringing somebody up because they don't know all the wars of Cain. So he's bringing people up. So he he raises up a Gideon because Israel served a period of time that they were under Midianite oppression for seven years. The Bible says they had been under Midianite oppression. Uh, they they whenever their crops were coming to be uh, harvested. The enemy would come in and flock upon their crops. They would steal away the crop. They would take away their increase. They would plunder the land, their livestock, virtually everything they own. If I can tell you this, uh, at this point in time, Israel was literally caving in. They were found in caves and dens. Place. They were literally caving in uh, because of the adversary and what was happening in their time. As a matter of fact, they had bowed and bent to serving false gods. We understand even Gideon's own father served the gods of Baal because he had to tear down the altar in the story. So they were giving themselves to false gods. Let me say it like this. They were serving everything that everybody else around them were serving. They were participating in things that other people around them were participating in. All right. And so they've been serving false gods. The Bible says that they were impoverished by the adversary because of the route that they as a nation of Israel had chosen to take. But here was the answer. Listen to me very clearly and I'll close. We've turned red. We're in red status. They have code blue. This is code red. (laughs) Amen. What happened? The answer for the dilemma of Israel. This is what the answer was. The answer to their having blended in, the answer to their commonness, their, their answer to having become ordinary, their answer was resistance. Because the angel of the Lord came down to Gideon as Gideon was threshing wheat by, which is literally interpreted in the wine press. The angel of the Lord came down to Gideon and he told him this. He says, you shall smite the Midianites as one man. You shall smite the Midianites as one man. What is he telling Gideon? It's been seven years. Yeah, but you've been sequestered over here to a cave, to a den. What you've been doing about resisting? Nothing. He says the answer, he said to you rising above this common, ordinary, you got to resist. You shall smite them as one man. And you must resist and you must fight because you're meant, To be nothing ordinary, Gideon. You can read the story there of Judges chapter number six. The Bible says that in this seven year of oppression and whenever all this is coming about, that the Lord even sent a prophet to Israel. And the prophet even starts telling Israel about how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. You know what the prophet's coming in to tell them? Things that they had forgotten or didn't even know. He come and he starts telling them how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. He start, if I could tell it like this, he's starting to tell them some of the wars they didn't know anything about. If I could say, they, he, the, the prophet came and started telling them, said, get in, your great, 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 great grandpappy fought for this. Or fought against this. Are you part of his family or not? Hey, Amen. Hey, Amen. My God, I hope somewhere down the road, if I ever sequestered to a den or a cave sister Sheila, and I just drop my heads and say, Well, nope, forget about fighting that battle. I hope somebody that knew my great-grandfather, Grandpa Weisenbooger, or Theopolis, or even my dad, or maybe even Grandma Campbell. I wish somebody coming to me and say, Hey, 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 your grandma Campbell, she was female. She preached. It was back in the day. She preached. I wish someone came. Your grandma preached against that. I might not have been there. I might not have been born. But she fought some battles and some wars that the church as a church as a whole still need to be fighting, still need to be warned against. Although I might not know about it, if you will, I might have some stories, but although I might not have been there, God still has me in a land with things around me to prove me and test me to see if I'll have the same convictions as the generations that went before me and if I'll stand firm, be resolute, and have a backbone like they did because it was that backbone and that resoluteness that brought them to Canaan that Canaan would have not even been reachable had they not fought those type of battles stand with me Gideon you're meant to be nothing ordinary. you're, you're meant to be uncommon but the power in all of that is in your resistance it's in your resistance. You can't blend in. You can't just step back and say, well, I'm not going to make no waves. No, 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 no. no. I'm not going to stand out. No, 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 no. He says, you've got to get outside of the, get out of the wine press, Get in. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty man of valor. You're going to smite them as one man. If we bow our heads here tonight. Nothing ordinary. I'm calling to us as a church. I'm calling to us as individuals. And if I may, I'm calling this up tonight to the status of nothing ordinary the status that those that have blazed the trails before our feet ever hit the floor being born into this world that fought some battles waged some warfare against some things we may in our generation just for the purpose to prove us to see if we're gonna fight the same fight if we're gonna hold the same convictions if we're gonna toe the same line as those that did before us that was able and enabled and empowered us to bring us to where we are in this day and in this age. Oh, Lord Jesus, today, God, I don't know every war that every previous generation before me God that were Lord under the label of apostolic or biblical Lord Jesus students Lord of your word I don't know every war that they have fought God I may have some stories and I can read history books Lord Jesus and turn pages and learn of some of them but God when they're gone who's going to lead the charge God when they're gone who's going to go up first and fight for us God I don't want there have to be a deliverer raised up I want Lord Jesus to stand up Lord on my two feet and say I'm going to fight the same battle I'm going to fight the same enemy. I'm going to fight the same adversary. There is a status that's been placed upon my life. It has not come, if you will, by blending in. It has not come, if you will, by setting in the back, if you will, but it has come by going forward, by being what they would call odd, but what I would call set apart. It has come by being appointed as the treasure of the Lord, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the peculiar people. Shabbat in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus can we lift our voices right now all across this place God instill in the hearts and the minds of your people a nothing ordinary attitude a nothing ordinary Lord Spirit a nothing ordinary determination a nothing ordinary fortitude I pray oh God we do not have to bow we do not have to bend if our God is able he is able if he's willing he can take us out of the fiery furnace if it would come to that I know that he is but I can't bow I can't bend there's been things that's been invested in my heart and mind I poured the word upon my body it's been written on my doorpost. oh yes nothing ordinary not just a church nothing ordinary but families that are nothing ordinary Homes that are nothing ordinary. He says you take the laws and the precepts, you you write them upon the doorpost of your house and the gates of your house. It's not about just coming to the house of God. We have a nothing ordinary church. Do you have a nothing ordinary home? Hmm? Do you have a nothing ordinary home? We walk into your home. Would it be just like walking into anybody else's home? But he said, we write that. We just go write the word upon the gates. We're going to write it on the post of the house. Because this isn't just good for the temple. This is good for the home. Because this is not come to church and become nothing ordinary and leave and go home become common. No, 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 no. This is being uncommon at home and uncommon at church and uncommon at the workplace and uncommon in the concourses of the life that we live in the public. It's about being real, being his anywhere, everywhere that we go. Hallelujah. Let's pray one more time and I'll dismiss you. Lord Jesus, I love you today. God, embed, Lord Jesus, the truths, Lord, in our hearts and our souls. God, help us, Lord, to talk about them, teach them, bind them, oh, Lord, write them out. I pray, oh Lord, today, I don't want there to be a generation, God, that would die. Lord, and another generation, Lord, arise that knew not because I didn't pass it on. God, or another generation arise and know not because, Lord, they never fought in that battle and they fought in some battles just because someone else was fighting without any purpose or reason knowing why they were fighting what they were fighting. I pray, oh God, let it go beyond, Lord Jesus, the surface of a feeling, of a hype. God, I pray, oh Lord, let it get down to an instruction, Lord, an experience, Lord, a knowledge, Lord. Jesus, even God of why Lord Jesus, we fight some of the things we fight. Why, Lord Jesus, we engage in certain things we engage. I pray, oh Lord, today. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, Amen and Amen. And the church say man. Amen. Tomorrow night. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter